If you have a Bible with you this evening, maybe you could switch it on. Or if you have an actual, I know if you're under 30, it does come in print now. And uh, maybe you could go to John's Gospel for me, please. Chapter 1. I suppose the goal in my life is to walk with the Holy Spirit while I'm here on the earth. The very first night I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit invaded my heart in a way that even all these years later, and that's about 33, I'm still trying to understand and fully embrace and submit to. I started my journey with God with an encounter. An encounter that changed me and transformed me. And sometimes we think encounters are superficial things. They're for those that are a little bit flaky, maybe. Well, I probably was the flakiest of all the flaky people I knew. So maybe God, in His wisdom, worked with my parameters. But in my car that night, I encountered love. Love so powerful that it's kept me walking with Jesus for over 33 years. Love so remarkable that I found myself completely and utterly being transformed. Now, it's difficult to picture this, but the moment Christ came into my life at the age of 24, I didn't feel I had very many needs. I was reasonably successful. I had worked very hard during the course of my life to try and become, you know, capable and, and, and um, good at certain things. And my life on the surface looked like it was successful. But over a course of incidents in my life, I feel that I got to the point where the world that I was navigating wasn't as safe as it had been or it could be. And suddenly I found myself turning up at the back of a little Catholic church in a tiny little place in the largest city of Dublin called Dundrum. And I would go in and I'd sit at the back of that church just searching for and seeking the heart of God. And many months later I became a Christian in someone's front room. And I think God honored my heart and desire to know him and to connect with him and he touched my life in a remarkable way. That, that encounter turned into many encounters um, and many experiences with God and please God, they continue until the day I die. I don't know what I would do without encountering God, without experiencing and tabernacling and connecting with God in that way. And so when I came to the church, I, I felt like a little bit of a freak because there were some people in my church who'd never had an encounter. They, they kind of lived their Christianity out of discipline, which seemed to me like a poor relative to the delight that was in my heart. But, you know, they looked like they were good people, and so I tried to learn from them. And over and over again, I fought this battle because I would love to be a little bit more like that. But actually, I'm a creative person. So on the inside, God connects with me in the way that works for me. 
And so he opens my eyes. And here's the principle, and it's a principle that I believe is available to all of us. We can only become what Christ wants us to become when we have beheld him in a particular way. When we see him, we just sung these words, we have strength to face the day. There's something about having a revelation or an encounter with God that so energizes your soul, it produces far more in you than discipline could ever produce. And it would seem to me that God's preferred methodology, if there is such a thing in the kingdom, is for us to catch a glimpse of his nature and his character. Because when we do, we have a revelation that gives an energy and a resource to our lives so that we can be changed and transformed. And so encounters, for me, have become a consistent and a continual thing. In fact, I always want an encounter. In the worship songs, you know, I think sometimes I say, God, I'm singing all these words, but I just would love to feel your touch upon my heart, upon my life. Maybe I'm a Christian hedonist who just needs experiences. I don't know. But actually, I think that some of those experiences have kept me some of those experiences have saved me from getting involved in things that I could have got involved with. And those clear experiences with God actually made it very evident to me that who I was doesn't exist anymore. I'm a new creature. I've been born again. I know some of you have got questions about my salvation, but I've been born again. And God has done some exceptional things in my life. So I want to talk to you tonight about what it looks like for us to be saturated with the presence of God, saturated by the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody up for a little of that heavenly action? Okay. John chapter 1, we're going to read together from verse 25. They asked him, him in the story is John the Baptist, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, to baptize with water, said to me, that's God obviously, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son. I'm sure the Lord will bless the reading of his word in the gathering of his people. Now John's revelation, the Apostle John, not John the baptizer, seems to me to be very different than the other Gospels. I don't know if you've noticed that. But he's caught up with a narrative that's absolutely consistent throughout his writing. 
And I believe that narrative is vital to us to understand. It's simply this, that he speaks of the preeminence of Jesus over all things. That Christ, before he came to this earth, existed in the heavenlies. One true God, in the image of God, he came and became a man for us. And in that humanity is this credible glory known to us as God Emmanuel with us. John is besotted with the preeminence of Jesus. And actually this particular passage is very clear that he wants to demonstrate that kind of orientation. Look at verse 29. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, in other words, stop everything, stop all that you're thinking, stop all that you know, and pay attention, because the one who has promised he will come is here with us. And he refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, church, if we were to just pause at that place tonight, and I was to ask you this truth, how real and current and vibrant is your clarity about the fact that your sins have been forgiven through the finished and completed work and the blood of Jesus Christ? It is important to us to stay clear about such matters. Sometimes we think we can add so much to our spiritual experience, but actually we need to, every day of our lives, have a behold moment where we say, this is the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus, who has taken all my sin away. If he's taken the sins of the world away, he's most certainly taken your sin away from you. This is the best news ever to the human heart. In a world so toxic by all kinds of brokenness and, and indifference and pain and angst and anger, it's a good thing for us to remind ourselves on Pentecost Sunday that we have hope because Jesus Christ has come into our world and he has dealt with our sin, all of the byproducts of a, a heart that's disconnected from God and he has come to win our hearts back to relationship with his Father. And John is clearly demonstrating for us the priority of salvation. And he identifies to us that it's only Christ who can save. It's only the Lamb of God who can deal with your sin. You know, if that is so true for us here tonight, then why are we still trying to deal with our own sin? Some of us try to cover it up. Some of us try to maneuver it. Some of us try to negotiate it. Have you ever tried to negotiate with God? I find God doesn't have dialogue about such issues. He says, it is finished. My son, Jesus Christ, has actually given you new life and hope as a result of the forgiveness that he has demonstrated. You are cleansed. You are healed. You are set free. Whether you're living there is another conversation, but Jesus has provided everything for your sins to be forgiven. I thought that might get an amen. amen. But right here in amongst that salvation story, John is highlighting to us something other about Jesus. He's suggesting that Jesus, although he is the savior of the world, he has come to forgive us our sins, but he's also come to pour out his spirit, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And then there's this dialogue in the, in the narrative, a contrast between John and Jesus's baptism. And John is the one who baptizes with water, but Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
the writer is trying to help us understand that the water baptism is a precursor, in other words, almost like a prophetic demonstration of what can happen to us whenever Jesus pours out his spirit upon our lives. And this is what John says in verse 31. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing in water that he may be revealed to Israel. John is being very clear that he is not the ultimate or the fundamental end of the story, that the baptism in water is an entry point into a place where we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he highlights to its audience, the Gospel of John, that John the Baptist is not a prophet, he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah reincarnated, he's not the great knower, he didn't even know that this was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, but he's been commissioned by the Spirit of God, the heavenly voice of God, to come and baptize. Now look at verse 32 with me, please. Unlike the other Gospels, John doesn't focus his attention on the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't focus his attention on the fact that Jesus physically got baptized in the Jordan, but he does say something that is important for us to understand. In verse 32, he says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And then he adds to that statement, And it remained on him. Why a dove? Well, the first thing I want to highlight to you tonight as we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is simply this that it will require God to move heaven to earth for us to experience it. The dove demonstrates to us a creature that lives in the heavenlies and soars the heights of the expansive and vast array of what nature can offer, but actually comes to land in a specific place on a specific purpose. Sorry, on a specific person. The dove was a lowly animal. It represents humility and actually in the book of Leviticus it says that those who were poor would instead of bringing a lamb would bring a dove into the house of the Lord as their sacrifice so it comes from above the, the baptism of the spirit comes from the heavens down here to earth and touches our lives connecting us with the God who delights in us the dove is a symbolic of humility and purity and simplicity. And you know, I want to just say to you that sometimes we think of God in ways and beings that I don't think really pay great credence to him because we, we tend to think that the Holy Spirit will come into our lives whenever we have it all together. We tend to think that God will bless us whenever we've got all our ducks in a row. But the reality is I've discovered over and over again that God is attracted to our weakness. He's attracted to our brokenness. He's attracted to our lowly state. And the Spirit of God ascends and descends on those that have a heart that is open and pure and broken and available to God. Look at the end of verse 32. It says, and it remained on him. It obviously is a bit of a clumsy word referring to the Holy Spirit who is indeed a person. And John is highlighting to us not only was Jesus touched by the Spirit, but Jesus was given over to the Spirit's presence. What John is trying to show us here is the supremacy of Christ, the vast superiority of Jesus. 
He wants us to understand that the baptism in water is something that's inferior in some senses to the reality of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is Christ was before me. He is above me. He's preeminent over all things. He ranks infinitely above all things. John, the one who is the baptizer, is saying, I am just a voice. He is the message. I am temporary, but he is eternal. He is the eternal God who has come upon the Son of God to bring a new dynamic to his ministry. So what is he saying to his readers? He's saying this, the days of the Messiah are here. And the focus on Christ's superiority in this passage is the fact that he baptizes in the Spirit and John chose to mention that here in the beginning of the gospel, this was the priority for all those who followed Jesus. Now, there's a couple of reasons why this is highlighted to us. I'm going to skip through them fairly quickly for you. But really, what John is doing is highlighting some promises from the Old Testament. If you have the Bible open, turn to Isaiah chapter 11 for me, please. Now, Jesus is standing here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the dove, the one that speaks of heaven coming to earth and the, the humility and simplicity and, and availability of the Spirit to anyone is clearly being highlighted here. But John is also reminding us that what he's seeing happening before his eyes, in fact what everybody is witnessing, is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 2, this is what it says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his shoot shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And John is highlighting that Jesus is the fulfillment, Jesus is the Messiah come to earth, and the evidence of that is not just that the Holy Spirit has touched him, but the Holy Spirit has remained upon Jesus. Turn with me, if you could, quickly to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. If we flick over again another couple of chapters to Isaiah 61 verse 1, and this is the, the very text that Jesus quoted about himself when he stood up in the temple. This is what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news. So John, in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 33 in the midst of the baptism of Jesus, wants to remind those that are watching and those who are listening and now us who are reading that Jesus is the one whom has been prophesied throughout the Old Testament that would come. Not only did the Spirit rest on him, the Spirit remained in him. Jesus is therefore the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of the promise of God to his people. What John is saying is you've witnessed something that's life-changing and world-impacting. Jesus has come to earth and the Spirit of God has rested upon him and is now abiding in him. It's an evidence to us that God is with us. He has come with salvation and he's come with restoration in mind. And who was that salvation and restoration for? It was for God's 
people. And the Old Testament describes to us what will happen when the Messiah comes. Let me read them to you quickly. Not only will the Spirit of God rest on Jesus and abide in Jesus, but actually the Spirit of God will rest on the people of God. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says this, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Aren't you grateful for that reality? The ministry of Jesus, what happened in Jesus, is now happening through Jesus, and the availability of the Spirit baptism becomes accessible to God's people. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 3. It says, I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do you know whenever we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens to us is we rewrite the course of our human experience. Whatever has happened prior to that now has a different narrative attached to it because the Spirit of God begins to work in the heart of God's people. And if you come from a long line of people who are dysfunctional and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus has made that available to you, then your future is going to be far better than your past. The God who is with you will rewrite the story concerning your historical account. He will rewrite the ending even if the beginning was dreadful. I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring. That's about the future. It's about generational blessing. It's about God wants to do. And my blessing on your descendants. Do you know, I firmly believe that my daughter will not have to fight the battles that I had to fight. That some of the breakthroughs that God has given me in my life provide her with a platform to do exceedingly abundantly and above and beyond anything I've ever imagined or thought with the connection she has to the power of God. Let's turn to Ezekiel 36 verse 27. And this is a promise from God to his people through the Messiah. This is what God is and continues to accomplish. And I will put my spirit within you. Someone say amen to that. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It would seem to me that that scripture is suggesting that trying to live this life without the power of the Holy Spirit will be futile and pointless. That actually to keep the law of God, we need to be in a place where we are filled with God himself. I will walk with you so my statutes become a reality to you. Be careful to stay close and obey my commands. What are the commands? That we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And church, tonight I want to suggest to you that it's impossible to do that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for you to give that kind of devotion and that kind of delight to God if you're working out of human effort. For it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's the enablement of the Spirit that causes us to worship God, to give our lives over to Him. And you know, I've watched over the years, I've walked with Jesus, many, many people try to live this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. They either dry up or they don't turn up anymore. They almost give up eventually because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can enable us to live the life that Christ has indeed provided for us. I cannot be who I'm called to be without the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need a baptism and a baptism and a baptism and a baptism because I need to be consistently saturated with the fullness of God. 
So what does it mean for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Verse 33 says this, this is he, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the promised one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What do we learn from that statement? The first thing I want to suggest to you is this, that what John is suggesting in his writing is that from now on, say now on for me church, from now on, the way and the means by which we can be blessed by the Holy Spirit's presence, by the Holy Spirit's fullness, is through Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we want the blessing of the Spirit, but actually what we need is to have a deeper, clearer connection with Jesus. Jesus is the one who offers us the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whatever saving work the Spirit does, He does because of Jesus. The Spirit does not flow in our world without an attachment to the reality of the Messiah, without a connection with Christ himself. Everywhere he moves, he moves with Jesus, and he moves for Jesus. The first thing John is trying to highlight to us, if we want the fullness of the Spirit, we need to have a yieldedness and a connectivity to Jesus. Now, is there anybody here tonight who's a Christian? You have a connectivity to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Is there anybody here who needs a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit? My prayer over this weekend is that we'd have another Pentecost. That the Spirit of God would come and move in power. And here's our prayer. Listen to our prayer. Come Holy Spirit. But actually that shouldn't be our prayer. Let me help you. What we need to say is, I surrender to you Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who has brought to us the revelation of the Spirit's power. So the Spirit comes through Jesus. The second thing we notice is this, is that Jesus immerses his people in the Spirit's presence and power. The word baptize here means to be poured out to be saturated in, to be marinated in the Spirit's presence. Now, I don't know if you read the the Scriptures, but there are places where it says that we should be filled with the Spirit and to keep on being filled with the Spirit. There are other places that says the Spirit will be poured out upon our lives, and Jesus now suggests that we should be submerged in the reality of the Spirit's power. All of those images are the same reality, Because if you pour something out on somebody enough, they eventually become surrounded and immersed in the very substance that you're pouring out on them. In a couple of days' time, I will throw myself into a pool in a country not too far from here that's warm. And when I jump off the edge of that particular, uh, you know, swimming pool edge, at first I will not be immersed. I will not be saturated. I will not be affected by the water. There may be some people in Greenpeace t-shirts shouting, keep him wet, keep him wet. (laughs) But the reality is, it's not until I am plunged into the depths of that swimming pool, I have no choice of where that water goes. And trust me, it usually goes up my nose and comes out my ears. When you are submerged in something, you are surrounded by it. You are given over to its properties. You know, the way I would walk on dry land would be very different than the way I would maneuver in the water because the water directs my interactions with it. I am not superior to it. I have to work with its power and I have to submit to its authority. 
When we are submerged, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, when we are baptized, when we are marinated in God, what we're saying is this, the Spirit has now got a profound and pervasively influential impact on everything in my life. When you are immersed in something, it touches you everywhere. It gets to every part of you. So when John is saying that Jesus is going to baptize us with the Spirit, he means this, that a day is coming when the lives of God's people will be plunged into the life of the Spirit with profound and persuasive effects. So the first thing we recognize is that the Spirit comes through Jesus. The second thing we recognize is that Jesus immerses people in the Holy Spirit. And the third thing we recognize is baptism signifies all that the Spirit does for us. What do I mean by that? John is not highlighting to us that the Spirit is some experience we have at the beginning of our relationship with God. He's not getting into the arena where we start to examine or think about the fact that maybe the, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit could possibly be speaking in tongues. And as Pentecostals, we would suggest that that would be a clear evidence that the Holy Spirit has impacted our lives. John is not trying to throw out for us this discourse on the order in which things happen. He's simply suggesting to us that when you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, he wants to marinate you and baptize you and consistently pour out his Spirit in your life. That it may be one, two, three, four, five, a thousand encounters with the Holy Spirit, but God is so desirous to pour out His Spirit's power in our lives that we must never limit His ability to do something for us in that way. And you know, every time there's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christ is dwelling in our hearts. Every time there's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus who is facilitating that. Every time there's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives, it's Jesus immersing us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And every time I experience a fresh experience with God and the Holy Spirit, I am being healed. Every time God touches me with the power of His Holy Spirit, I'm being set free. Every time I experience the Holy Spirit in worship, I am being made new. Every time the Spirit comes, whenever God begins to move in a gathering or even privately, God is rewriting the story of my life. Every time the Spirit comes, the character of Christ is becoming available to me. Every time the Spirit moves, I'm being invited to see the glorious nature of God without any parallel to anything here on this earth and every time the spirit touches my life I'm being invited to model to demonstrate and to offer to the world the encounter that I have experienced because if I can experience God I become a gateway for some other people to experience him too you need the Holy Spirit more than you know this is not a once in a lifetime thing this is a continuous reality that God desires to pour out his spirit on all flesh Every time the Spirit of God touches you, your heart is awakened to the reality of Jesus. Every time the Spirit comes near you, sin is defeated in Jesus' precious name. Every time the Spirit touches you in a fresh way, boldness is producing a power in you to be, to be witnesses for Christ. And every time the Spirit touches you, like you are having a conversion experience of changing from one degree of glory to the next. We need the Holy Spirit. Years ago, I felt the Lord gave me a little illustration of how some people 
who are Christians interact with the Holy Spirit. That he's a little like a conservatory on the side of our house. When we want to feel some warmth, we go out and we sit and we abide. That somehow there's this extension that's in many ways optional. <laughs> you know, that not everyone has a conservatory, not everyone wants a conservatory, but we all like the sun to shine on our faces. But you know, the Holy Spirit wants to live in your living room. The living room of your heart. He wants to abide in your conversations. He's not a high, fair-weather friend that you can visit occasionally. He has come to take up residence in your life. He desires to have part of everything that you are and to be involved in everything that you do. Do you know the Holy Spirit loves to abide in your bedroom? Let's think about it together. We're not going to get too technical because there's children in the room. But isn't there a cry in our hearts for intimacy? Some of us are in a season where God is taking us to the bedchamber. There's a place of intimacy that the Spirit of God is working on in our lives. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There's a place of intimacy and connectivity. And if you find that problematic, then you need to read the Song of Songs because it's all about romance, this divine romance where God steals our heart and carries us away to the bedchamber where he impregnates us with purpose and power and passion for the purposes of God. For some of us, the Holy Spirit wants to be in our library. He wants to teach us some new things. He wants to educate us in the ways of God. Jesus said this phrase, in my Father's house there are many rooms. There are times and seasons when we need the Spirit to interact in us, with us in a particular way. How about this? We need the Spirit of God to go to our basement. There are things in our basement that are causing a stench in our living room. And the Spirit of God knows where those things are that are affecting the way that you live. And He wants to bring healing and restoration and life to your heart. Some of us have filed some things in the attic of our experience. And the Spirit of God wants to go up and rummage amongst the boxes where you've filed away some things that have happened to you over the course of your life. And He wants to remind you of some promises that God has made to you and bring freedom and release and healing to your heart. For some of us, we're in the bathroom with the Holy Spirit, where some things need to be flushed away out of our lives. Sorry, was that a bit close to the truth? Where we stand under the fountain of His blessing and we're cleansed and we're healed and we're restored and it doesn't matter whether you like a bath or a shower, the Holy Spirit brings cleansing. He brings purity. He brings freedom to certain parts of our reality. So the Holy Spirit is not a conservatory that we visit in the sunshine of our lives. He wants to be the abiding, consistent, and incredible person of God day by day in every decision that we make. There are four things that I have noticed are of great value to me in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask us quickly just to read through them, and then we're going to pray for you. Is that okay? Okay. The first one is found in John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6. This is John continuing his dialogue about the Spirit of God and all that is available to us through Christ. The first thing I want to suggest to you is this, and it's so central to everything we're looking for and everything we're searching for. It's probably the reason why you're here tonight. The Spirit gives new life. 
Do you ever get tired of certain things? Is there anybody who gets tired of themselves? Hello? Is there anybody in the room like me, you just get a little bit tired of yourself? And if you're not tired of yourself, the person you're living with is definitely tired of you. Do you know what I'm saying? And they kind of remind you. Do you know what we're really needing at those moments is new life. Who gives us new life? The Spirit of God. In John 6 verse 63, it says this. It is the Spirit who gives life. Now, How does He give that life? By giving us new birth. If you've been born again here tonight, the Spirit has already given you life. That's why we're encouraged to leave behind the old and embrace the new. Is there anybody here who's born again? The Spirit has given you new life. Listen carefully. Why do you keep going back to your old life if you've been given a new life? Why do you let your old life rule your new life? You see, we need to start thinking from a new man perspective. If God has made all things new, and that's the reality of what Christ has done for me by the power of His Spirit, then I need to live in the newness and not in the oldness that has so often persuaded me to go back. Like a dog to its vomit, I keep returning to some old habits. So the Spirit gives you new life, and it's new life that He comes to give every day. In John 3, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh, that which is birthed out of human effort, will produce flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit will produce spirit. One reason why I need the Holy Spirit is I am thirsty for life. And I have been given new life through the gift of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He enables me to live in that new life. I need my mind renewed. I need my heart restored. I could keep you here all night with a list of things that need to change. But actually, it's only the Spirit that can produce that new life in me. You are a new creature in Christ. And guess who's the advocate of that newness? Not your human energy or effort or even your church attendance. But the power of the Spirit at work in your life every moment of every day. Producing that new life that Christ has formed for you. You have somebody on your side who's your greatest cheerleader. He knows everything about everything and he's available to you consistently. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the bathroom or the bedroom or the attic. Or he is working in you, with you, to produce for you the likeness of Christ. The second thing that I recognize that happens to us when we live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit is this. Is that not only does he give us life but he makes us people who can give life away. In John 7, verses 38 to 39, it says this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, I think one version of the Bible says, out of his belly. That's why I have three, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, not only do we get new life, but the power of the Spirit in us gives us the capacity to bring new life to everything and to everyone. You know, one of the greatest things I learned very quickly in my journey with Jesus, that I get to keep what I give away. You know, the Bible is true when it says it's more blessed to give. So when I have a revelation of God, you know, Jane sometimes scolds me over this because I don't always take the time to, to just let it sit in my life. But if I feel touched of God, I want to tell you, church, I want to touch somebody through the power of God. 
I feel that there's a river inside of me that will dry up if I don't give it away consistently. If I don't let the spirit leak out of me, then what I become is a reservoir, which is often stagnant when I've been called by God to be a river. God has placed the fountain of life inside of you. It's not just enough to make you a better person. It's enough to change everything in this world. The power of the spirit who transform you has the power to change your family. Somebody say amen. It has the power to change your community. And you thought the Holy Spirit was just to keep you sweet and keep you sanctified till Jesus got back. You know, I want to suggest to you, you need to allow God to move through you. Because as he moves through you, he'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. Because God loves it whenever we allow the Holy Spirit to minister through us. Out of your heart. This is what's prophesied over those who are filled with the Spirit's power. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. What do we give away to people? It says a lot about what we value and what we consider to be of significance. And you know, I've not had any time in my life where I've ever been a congregation member alone. From the word go, I felt the Holy Spirit want me to touch people's lives with the encounters of God that I was experiencing. I would often go to the clubs and the pubs I was working in. I know it sounds bizarre. And I would look out for those that God wanted me to speak to. And sometimes they were the most unusual of people. But you know what? In the darkest of places, Christ has power. He has power. And he's waiting for his people to understand that what's going on in us is greater than anything that's happening around us. So is anybody here who has a revelation? One person said, amen. Gosh, we're in trouble if it's just one person. Is there anybody who has a, anybody has a revelation? You do know that wasn't given to you just for you, don't you? That God gave it to you so that you would share it with people. That what blesses you will bless others. Amen? Amen. Who knows him as Father? Who knows him as Father God? Now, I'm not asking, do you know the theology? I mean, have you had an experience of the Father who delights in you? Well, you already have a ministry. (laughs) Because out of what you have been given, you have the capacity to give to others. And if you want increase to what you've been given, then give it away. Be a, a river of living water. Don't be a reservoir trying to grab everything from God for yourself. That's an orphan mindset. Freely you have received freely give. Does anybody know him as the God who heals? Two of us are saying amen. I wonder what the rest of us are doing. (laughs) Has anybody had a healing from God internally, physically, mentally, spiritually? You already have a revelation of who he is. And as you give away what God has given you, and trust me, it doesn't have to be spooky or awkward. We do spooky and awkward great in the church, but it doesn't have to be like that. Here's a phrase I love, being naturally supernatural. That when I'm connecting with people, that the story that God has revealed to me of his heart becomes available in those moments. And I don't have to say all weird things around it. I just happen to say things like this. Oh, I know how that feels. I've been through something like that. Let me tell you what happened to me. I think one of the things we need to be careful about is that we try and hold on to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who wants hold of you. 
He is the one who wants to take possession of you. He wants to abide in every part of you. You don't need to tie him to you. He's a beautiful God who delights to move in you, but he also delights to move through you. Out of your belly, out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. The third thing that the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit does for us is that the Spirit witnesses to Jesus. In John 15, verse 26, this is what it says. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In other words, the Spirit will cause Jesus to be compelling. Will cause us to give him his rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. Sometimes I think we're trying to worship out of intellect. We're trying to worship out of human energy and effort. But the scriptures tell us that God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. That the revelation of who God is, is the very unction of what we bring in the songs that we sing. That I know this about him. And who causes us to see Jesus with such clarity but the Spirit of God. He's opened our eyes to salvation. He's opened our eyes to the scriptures. And he opens our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. And you know, I want to be really clear with you. I want to be the kind of person that whenever I start talking to people about Jesus, there's a witness in the, in the hearts of people that what I am saying is a revelation of who Christ is. I don't want to pass on information to people. I want to pass on revelation to people. I want them to be convicted and convinced that God might be real, not because I'm saying clever things. Paul says these words, I do not come to you with persuasive words or arguments, but with the power and the demonstration of the gospel. You see, it's the Spirit that makes Jesus compelling. It's the Spirit that causes a witness to come to the hearts and lives of people that Jesus is who he says he is, and he'll do what he promises he will do. And the fourth thing that I believe happens when we're baptized and immersed in the fullness of the Holy Spirit is this, is that the Spirit glorifies Jesus. John chapter 16 verse 14 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Church, we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that some of us have had great encounters with God. I know that you've felt the power of the Holy Spirit and the unction of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But for the season that lies ahead, for all that God wants to do in and through the life of His church, we're going to need to be even more surrendered to the Spirit's power than we have been currently. Some of the battles that we're facing in our hearts and our lives is not because God is not wanting to bless us. We just haven't given him space or room or even the capacity at times our lives are so busy to come and to abide with us and to fill us with his power afresh. There is a need for all of us in this room, myself more than most, to have a fresh outpouring of the Spirit on my heart and on my life. It's not optional. And it doesn't matter what season you're in. God knows exactly what to bring. He knows exactly what to show you and exactly what to do in your heart and in your life.